The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box and Easy Headlines. Wall Street marks its worst day in more than three weeks as markets await a fresh read on U.S. inflation, with CPI forecasts to hold near 40-year highs. There is nothing to suggest a recession in the works. The words of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who rejected suggestions a downturn is on the way as she highlighted the strength of the labor market. It's amazing how pessimistic they are, given that we have about the strongest labor market we've had in the entire post-war period. Um, People can easily find jobs. They're confident about the job market. Uh, China has been uh, bucking the global inflation trend as input prices hit a 14-month low, whilst consumer price inflation comes in below forecast for May. Plus, the ECB now pledges to raise rates by 25 basis points in July and leaves the door open to a more hawkish move in September as the central bank slashes growth forecasts and raises inflation expectations. We are determined to delivering on our target of 2% in the medium term and therefore expectations should absolutely remain anchored because we will deliver. Outgoing chief executive Carrie Lam says Hong Kong is not just another Chinese city and defends the controversial national security law, telling CNBC that safety and security trump unfettered freedom. It's not just about law and order uh, in Hong Kong. But if you look at all the other aspects uh, in uh, living in Hong Kong, I would really dispute any unfounded allegation that Hong Kong is not a free place. So just a fascinating insight, as always, Steve and I are debating the main issues of the morning and we're just discussing Christine Lagarde and how she was responding to some of the questions. Do you think the viewers are disappointed that actually even off air we talk about the same stuff as we talk on air? Shouldn't we be talking about, I don't know, alcohol and sports cars and what we're going to be doing with the weekend? I don't know. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that's that's normal fodder, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, but we're talking about CPR. How dull we are. uh, Well, hopefully they feel happy that we have this story running through us like Brighton. How are you, by the way? Uh, Not so bad. Nearly there. Another three hours. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Roll on the weekend and then we could talk about cars and all the other stuff. CPI I want to talk about. Uh, Well, let's talk about uh, the CPI because obviously the big inflation print has been something that we've been waiting for for the whole week. Inflation in the United States expected to continue to run at extreme highs with data for May forecast to show an 8.3% annual rate for the second consecutive month. Energy, food, housing and healthcare costs are predicted to remain the core price drivers. The US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen repeated the White House view that inflation remains the key concern policy-wise despite improvements in the job market. Inflation is clearly a major problem. It is President Biden's top priority. It's what I'm most focused on. And it's what American households are most concerned about. Because um, when you look at opinion polls and you see what households have to say, it's amazing how pessimistic they are, given that we have 
about the strongest labor market we've had in the entire post-war period. Um, people can easily find jobs. They're confident about the job market. Do you know our director, Will, yeah. he's such a killjoy. Do you know what right. he just said? Go he said, go on, Jeff, go back to the desk. I said, no, 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 no. You've got him up here. Right. He's walked all the way up here. He's got yeah. his steps going earlier, his odometer. Yes. Come over here, and I'll okay. go this side and you go that. And we right. can talk about US markets together. Yeah. Okay. So much more fun. So look, this was interesting. You, you, you've, you've talked beautifully. You've framed the, as ever, framed the conversation perfectly yeah. uh, about what the, the key issue is today, and it's going to be about inflation as well. But wasn't it amazing that the market shot first and then asked questions later, i.e., we saw sold off aggressively across the board on a whole host of assets, especially tech names, and we'll come to that in a few moments' time. But I would say yesterday, and again, Bowman's argue with me, but this is the whole point of the show, we want to have debates, but I don't think there was a major catalyst for it. No. We, 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 we've got the CPI coming. Now, I think the weekly jobless claims were illuminating. They've gone up. We've had high, one of the highest weekly increases in a very long time as well. But actually, they're still not stratospherically high. As the great lady said, the, the, the jobs market is by and large intact. It is by and large very robust. But the market sold off aggressively. Now, I also looked at the VIX, and on another day, the VIX will be north of 30 from the 24 it started the session at. It actually only popped up a couple of percentage points. Well, it went up to 26, so a greater percentage point, but only up to 26 and 24 as well. So that also says that the action in the options market was not everyone buying aggressively on the downtick. So the question is, why did Apple sell off aggressively? Why did Amazon sell off? Why did Twitter and Tesla and Arc Innovation and all the growth side of the market sell off aggressively? And I don't actually have a conclusive answer. I have a view, but it may not be the right view because as we've been pointing out ever since we started doing this programme, trying to backfill and analyse why things happened in the market is a bit of a mugs game. But just a couple of things that I will say. I think that what you got yesterday from two very key speakers was an indication that the monetary authorities are not going to back off. And I think Janet Yellen, she made herself a little bit of a hostage to fortune by by talking up the strength of the US labour market and saying there will not be a recession, the labour market is so strong. And I think the market extrapolated that as there is no intention from the Treasury Secretary to encourage the Fed to pause in its rate hiking cycle. Let's skip across the pond and I think what we got from Christine Lagarde was something of a mea culpa where she talked about well lots of big authorities in the world of economics got the forecasts wrong we are now pivoting to acknowledge the high inflation print and we will act on that. So I think the market got confirmation yeah. from both of these Good very point. senior ladies that there is no change in the desire to tackle inflation. And maybe that just undermined that idea so, that there is a Fed put and there is a pause coming in September. So that really disappoints me and worries me about both ladies, both esteemed ladies who we, you know, we've had a lot of admiration for and the amazing careers they've had as well. But on the, on the former, I would say that is the mark of someone who is now a politician rather than a central banker because we all know there are some markers about recession out there as well because she said, I think she said there were no signs of recession out there. Well, that's something for a politician to say because a central banker should never be so absolute in their confirmation of one side of the story or other. We know there are some markers about recession but we also know that there are a lot of markers that say that the US economy is firing on all cylinders. So there's no nuance in there because she's a politician because, dare I say it, the Democrats are going to have a very tough midterms as things stand at the moment. And on this side of it, 
Atlantic. I'm so disappointed by central bankers saying, well, don't blame us. A whole co- cohort of people, a whole plethora of, uh, what, what is a collective name for economists? I don't know. A whole crow of, co- of S- economists. Supply and demand of economists. Oh, know. God. Well, yeah. No, it's way too great to supply, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, a, a, a great cacophony of economists got it wrong. But I remember one of those economists telling me when I was worried about inflation a year and a half ago, saying, oh, well, you don't understand. The data points that the Fed has got at its disposal is far greater than you and I. Of course they know more than us. You remember that. You remember that, because I know you remember this kind of stuff as well. So to have the central bankers now telling around with all those extra data points they've got, yeah, we got it wrong, but so did everyone else. We're in a lovely herd. It's not great, and I don't have a lot of confidence in the credibility of central bankers who say that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Should yeah. we move on? Apparently we're supposed to have moved oh, on. Oh, I just wanted to come back with yeah, a couple of things. One is, um, I think everybody understands the business cycle, hopefully, and they do understand that the labour market is the last shoe to drop. So to use the labour market strength as an argument for no recession at this because point... they call it a backward-looking indicator, don't they? So yeah. um, I think you've just got to be a little bit careful. Uh, as you yeah. say, she is now a politician and not a central banker, so bear in mind that in the economic cycle generally labor is the last thing to be shed as companies try to hang on to assets even as they see perhaps uh, the volume of activity declining. Uh, Will's very pleased you stayed by the way much more impressive wall sequence with you here. Uh, Let's have a look at the technology stocks as well and this is fascinating these are the names that have to rally if the US market is going to rally and I don't think that's a a silly thing to say because they are the the titans the the, the massive um, behemoths the Mm. cash throwing off companies in the case of Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, uh, of this market. I do think there is a very big difference between um, one, two, three, four, uh, Amazon, Apple, uh, Alphabet and Microsoft. I do think there's a very big difference between those four and the other four, which is Twitter, Netflix, Facebook and Tesla. And I think a lot of our viewers uh, will understand what I'm saying there is that the proven profitability model of the four I mentioned compared with the concerns around the other four, I think they're still there. Uh, and I'm still bemused why the hedge funds aren't buying at 39.53. I've mentioned it today. There's a, a $54.20 bid on the table. I just don't understand it. Um, we'll move on to treasuries. I don't know if you want to say something about the treasuries, Jeff. I mean, I think they look pretty solid at the moment. I noticed the 30-year yields picked up a little bit in the last 24 hours. Well, I think the only interesting thing to point out here is that your five-year note yes. is now yielding Inversion. more than your 10-year note. And obviously, the market is looking at the shape of the curve here to try and figure out if a recession is likely. And if the curve continues to flatten across the belly and then you get ultimately an inversion, the inversion is the thing that the market's worried about. Wouldn't I like a flatter belly? Uh, Let's move on to the dollar crosses as well. And again, what is going on at the BOJ? BOJ! 134, give or take the change as well. Ah, We don't care. Oh, was it the... Oh, did you see? They had to backtrack. Right. They had to backtrack at the BOJ because they see the consumers are now more tolerant of higher inflation. Really? Very, very tricky. Them tying themselves in not keeping the uh, yields on the 10-year. Was it below 0.25? Sterling, I'll just get out of the way briefly. 125, not moving too much on the shenanigans we're seeing uh, over at Downing Street. And the Asian indices look like this. Um, very little to tell from that, apart from the ASX is having another tough session, second day in a row. Yeah. Nikkei 225 is down 1.6%. Do you know, we haven't heard from our third leg of our stool too much today, have we? But she's been The pouring. most important. The most the important most, uh, part of the, the stool. Absolutely, the most important leg of the Without three-legged stool. Without a third leg, it is not a stool. Without a third leg, it is not a stool. And here no. she is, sitting down, not on a stool, I know, on a luxury, very expensive West End chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a vintage one, actually. 
<laughs> I was trying to weigh in, but I must be on mute. But uh, I think one of the dominant issues now really is growth. And I was saying earlier in the week, having just come from a conference and being surrounded by bankers, that there was just a very mixed view. Some are optimistic that we're just going to glide along from here, that growth is strong enough. Others are concerned that we're heading into recession. And that very split mentality in the market is telling you why we're still so bumpy on the market trade. And I think having the ECB weigh in yesterday, tightening into what is a slowdown. We had the OECD warnings that global growth is slower than its last quarterly update, yet you've got a central bank now prepared to tighten into that scenario, compounding what we're already seeing from the Fed, this uh, tightening phase as well, that is uh, just slowly turning, uh, dialing back on growth. So I think it is concerns now where people have those fears already about recession, the concern that growth and the slowdown we're witnessing because of monetary policy is just pushing us further into that direction on top of the other challenges, war in Ukraine, inflation and everything else that we've been contending with the COVID cases. And uh, speaking of which, let me just bring in China because this has been a huge focus for the market. If you look at the Shanghai Composite, it looks like it may be trying to uh, define an upward trend at this point, yet the backdrop is still challenging as we talk about COVID cases here and the management by authorities of those uh, COVID increases that you're seeing in various places. So Chinese factory gate inflation fell to a 14-month low in May, rising 6.4% on an annual basis. CPI, that rose 2.1%, coming in below expectations. Let's get out to Sam for more. Sam, a little bit of improvement on the data in recent days and the inflation numbers as well, yet the market's still just watching very closely to see the impact of any further COVID restrictions on China. Absolutely, Karen. Really, the story that's playing out for the mainland markets these days is zero COVID, this policy versus growth. And so we certainly are seeing some positivity on the mainland markets today off the back of this improving data. But also, as economists that we've been speaking to today have suggested that these numbers that we got when it comes to inflation out for the month of May really reaffirm the fact that inflation is not a huge concern over in China right now, because while we have seen these prices going up around the world at decades highs in uh, you know, places like Europe, etc. China's prices are really heading in the other direction. That really is down to the demand story because, as you say, we saw those producer prices actually uh, cooling to uh, a 14-month low now, and that is down to a couple of things. We have seen that demand diminishing for things like key commodities, things like steel and aluminium, as we have seen those lockdowns and particularly uh, softer demand in the property sector. But it comes as we have seen the uh, government intervention campaign to really try to rein in some of those high raw materials costs. And we know that they have been doing that, of course, uh, as part of their energy security tactics off the back of the uh, Ukraine crisis. And so if you look month on month, which of course tells a lot better story of what's going on here, you saw the coal sector, for instance, seeing their prices falling over 1%. Now, Beijing has been trying to do this, as I say, to try to prevent any pass-through to the Chinese consumer. And that seems to be working to some degree, because we did see a degree of stabilisation when it comes to the, the sticker prices. That CPI actually came in uh, uh, the same reading that we saw uh, in April. Now, we know that those uh, consumer prices have actually been rising in recent months because we have seen those rising fuel and energy costs. But if you look month on month, because as I say, that tells a lot better story, those consumer prices actually fell. And the officials have put that down to a couple of things. There were some seasonal factors to do with that with fruit and vegetables, etc. But also, uh, perhaps more importantly, and like we've seen with the trade data just yesterday, as authorities really tried to work hard to alleviate some of those supply chains and those 
logistics bottleneck. So that all fed through to the numbers. Uh, now, it comes to moving forward, economists really do say that they expect that CPI to remain below the government's target of 3% for the year. And in that sense, they do expect that to give the PBOC, the Chinese Central Bank, uh, certainly more headroom to lower some of those rates, uh, of course, to try to shore up that growth. But uh, as I say, we are certainly seeing some positivity in the mainland markets, despite uh, those announcements that we are seeing out of Shanghai uh, today, that they are going to be putting more uh, areas into lockdown, which is no doubt fueling those concerns about growth. Guys, back to you. Sam, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for that. The ECB says it intends to lift interest rates by 25 basis points next month, as uh, that would be uh, the first hike in more than a decade. The central bank cutting growth forecasts for the next three years and predicting inflation will end 2022 at 6.8%. The ECB president, Christine Lagarde, said she doesn't expect consumer prices to immediately decline after the initial hike. Do we expect that our July uh, interest rate hikes will have an immediate effect on inflation? The answer to that is no. And I would like to develop that a little bit. First of all, because of the anticipation of our monetary policy, because of the inflation and growth outlook, financing costs have already moderately but significantly increased, whether you look at corporate bonds, whether you look at sovereign bonds, whether you look at um, bank, of course. Uh, those, those financing costs have increased. And with the signal that we're giving here, particularly concerning the short-term rates, this signal will continue to have an impact on financing costs. There you go, Christine Lagarde. Now, I just want to make a very quick point and then I'll hand it over. I think that there are two stories playing out here. One is the story of the ECB and the steadier she goes, uh, and it'll be 25 basis points at the next meeting. And the other story that's playing out is the market going, you cannot be serious the bond market is already repricing a much higher expected level wow. of interest rates. And I just want to flag up what happened across the sovereigns, because um, even as Christine Lagarde was saying, well, 25 basis points is what we think we need to do at the next meeting, the bond market was already moving very sharply. And we went from 135 on the German Bund to 143.70 where we are now. Uh, and if you look at the Italian paper, and that's where a lot of people will be focusing in the bond market specifically, as they worry about the risk of these yields uh, widening a lot further from here, we suddenly went from 336 to 3 spot 7260. And the market will be wondering you know, what more information the ECB has to deliver about how it intends to control the spreads Boom. and to stop the yep. spreads from widening out further because the last thing that they want to see is another sovereign debt crisis. And obviously, with interest rates rising and the bond buying program being scaled back in, the market is beginning to assume that the ECB is prepared to let the market determine the appropriate level for this but yield no, gap. But no, it's not, is it? But no, it's not. No. So we're waiting to find out exactly what other mechanism the ECB intends to introduce at this point, because there was a lot of speculation about a support mechanism being announced 
and slipped into the detail of this, this meeting yesterday and there really wasn't very much information at all, which suggests to me that there is a lot of argument within the council, particularly between the northern and the southern members, about exactly how that would work, because as we know, the ECB cannot provide uh, monetary uh, support or monetary financing for governments that can't control their own budgets. That, anyway, is the idea. Credit spread controls is what you're talking about. We're going to hear an awful lot about it going forward, aren't we, Karen? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Italian 10-year paper and the yield that we're now looking at on the markets, we're almost 100 basis points higher than the point where people were flagging up concerns previously in previous months. So we're in very high territory now. And if you think and you compare this to history, levels like this often combine with political risk, which we don't have in spades at the moment. Um, even though there are still some question marks, I think this is still a relatively calm period for Italy around politics. So this rate is, is fairly extraordinary. When it comes to the market reaction, I mean, I think uh, that the ECB was somewhat disappointed. There was quotes uh, really out there in some of the newspapers that uh, ECB doves. Uh, some of the members thought this is the worst case uh, scenario in terms of market reaction, where you had the euro falling, driving up inflationary pressures, and you've got the rally in sovereign bond yields, which was not ideal, putting more pressure on the growth store across those markets. Uh, the other point here is that uh, the doves think that everybody effectively lost. They didn't get any of the desired outcomes that they wanted to achieve here. But uh, I would just say, I mean, there's obviously a lot of imagery. This was uh, done in the, the Netherlands yesterday, in Amsterdam. Don't forget the Dutch have been pushing for much higher interest rates. They have seen the cost of living. They've seen higher inflation. And they've been one of the member states that have been pushing for more aggressive policy. So we're in the backdrop under Rembrandt. Uh, this is where the negotiation happened, uh, right outside the Ricks Museum. I must say, I was outside the Ricks Museum on, uh, earlier in the week, and this was the setting inside where that negotiation took place. But the question is whether we're going to have consensus from here. And I think that's worth focusing on, because don't forget, a lot of the commentary said that there was consensus and that Christine Lagarde was trying to stop some of the members from talking different sides of the book out there, confusing the market. But if there's a a grudging consensus and not everyone's happy at this point and they haven't even moved on the deposit rate then how are the next couple of months going to play out Karen we've got to wrap it up we will take a break thank you so much uh, for the contribution there let's let's squeeze in a break here something very interesting coming up I'm very interested to hear what Carrie Lam has to say this is the Hong Kong chief executive who's provide presided over perhaps one of the most turbulent times in the territory's recent history. No doubt she wants to get control of the narrative, but we'll find out how Emily peppered her with questions when we come back. Stay with us. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam is just weeks away from the end of her tenure, a period which has been defined by COVID, 
as well as public unrest over a controversial national security law. In a first on CNBC interview, Lam defended her time and said Hong Kong is not just another Chinese city. Well, Emily spoke with the outgoing leader and joins us now from Hong Kong. And how did you find her mood, Emily? Obviously, uh, she is still chief executive for a few more days. But once she leaves the job, there's a lot of speculation as to uh, where she will ultimately choose to live out the rest of her uh, working life or even retirement. Yeah, that's right. She's served, Jeff, for the Hong Kong government in public service for the last 42 years. And at the end of this month, on June the 30th, she will be finishing up her five-year term. She leaves behind a legacy of social unrest in 2019. That's on the back of the now-shelved extradition bill, the enactment of the national security law, and two and a half years of COVID and strict anti-epidemic measures. Uh, that's resulted in a brain drain in the city. She said she never considered quitting in this time and does not have any regrets. I spoke with the outgoing chief executive and asked her about the mass exodus. I will confess that uh, in recent months, uh, there are uh, more people leaving uh, Hong Kong. But I will dispute, uh, Emily, your point that this has anything to do with the national security law. Because in 20 days time, we will be uh, um, celebrating, if I may use that word, the enactment of the Hong Kong national security law. And in all the contacts I have with business chambers, local and international, this is no longer a point of uh, worry or concern. But the border control measures have really uh, uh, made people uh, very uh, impatient uh, and, of course, uh, undermine Hong Kong status as a hub. Because if you not, could not travel freely to other places and into the mainland, how could you be a hub? So it has been a difficult five years, and Hong Kong also lost its special trading status with the United States during the Trump administration and has been sanctioned, Carrie Lam has, uh, by the United States. So she made headlines for keeping cash piles at home, and there are fresh calls now from U.S. lawmakers for further sanctions on Hong Kong officials. So I asked her how she would be managing this after she leaves office. I and 11 other uh, officials in Hong Kong uh, being aggressively and unreasonably uh, sanctioned by the U.S. government, but they will not intimidate us. Uh, we could find other means to, to maintain our daily living. Uh, I have no regret and I have no problem uh, with that. But uh, I would also uh, give this uh, piece of advice uh, to my successor and uh, other senior officials that uh, in order to perform our duty uh, loyally and dutifully, uh, we must not be intimidated, uh, whether it is by abuse, by force, by sanctions or other means. Hong Kong will mark the 25th anniversary of the handover on July the 1st. President Xi Jinping was in the city for three days to mark the 20th, and that was when Chief Executive Carrie Lam took up her post. When I asked her whether he will be coming to Hong Kong this time, she said she cannot confirm or comment, only to say it is her job to make sure the conditions are right for a state leader to visit. John Lee, that is the Chief Executive designate, he will be assuming his role as the top job on July the 1st. And of course, Jeff, uh, Hong Kong here, we are still waiting to hear whether or not President Xi will come uh, on the 
10th and the 15th, Hu Jintao came to Hong Kong. On the 20th, President Xi came to Hong Kong. Uh, so it would be in good order and good form that he does. And uh, what we're hearing here in the local media, the chatter is that uh, the two hotels on either side of the convention center, that being Grand Hyatt and uh, the Renaissance Harbor View, uh, they've been blocked out for the days around the uh, July the 1st. And that would be, of course, the handover anniversary in anticipation uh, for his arrival. And there's also been talk about a closed loop system uh, that everybody that's going to be coming into contact with the state official, the state leader, would have to go into isolation uh, so that uh, they would be keeping any state leader free from COVID or from getting sick in the event that there is a state leader that comes to town. Uh, so just about 20 days until the end of uh, Chief Executive Carrie Lam's term, and then we'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of Hong Kong's handover. Back to you guys now. Emily, terrific. Thank you so much for the interview. And if you want to hear more of uh, Emily's interview, you can go to cnbc.com and why Carrie Lam says Hong Kong is not just another Chinese city. And it'll be interesting to find out whether she gets banking terms, because, of course, under sanction, uh, she's been having to receive her salary in cash which uh, people have joked about because uh, they, they've been asking, um, is it delivered in shoeboxes and, and then stored in an apartment somewhere in Hong Kong? How does a highly um, paid executive anywhere in the world get paid in cash? I mean, can, you, can you imagine? Yeah. And how do you turn that into... Because a load of places don't take cash anymore. No. no. Well, particularly in Asia as well. Mm. That well my local Tesco's are some um, of the tills, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so the question is, you know, <laughs> will she ultimately be able to get banking terms? Because a lot of the banks have been reluctant to, wow. to continue banking with her because obviously they would be under U.S. sanctions. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.